Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. Just a moment, the usher's going to pass out the handout as well. But before they do, as they come forward, that's fine. Take a moment. Would you all just uh, close your eyes with me for just a moment? Just go ahead and close your eyes. And if there are any distractions, anything that uh, is plaguing your mind, would you just acknowledge those right now? And would you let them go? Maybe a worry, something that's happened. Maybe a relationship that's out of whack. An emotion, an experience that you've gone through. Would you just release it to the Lord? And would you invite the Holy Spirit to center your heart on Him? Father, we have far too many distractions in this world to deal with than to also have them here. So Lord, would this be a place now for us where those distractions fade away and where your spirit centers our hearts on you. We want to worship you, honor you, and learn from you now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. There was a story uh, back in October of last year by a number of news outlets. Uh, I'm I'm quoting now from a couple of uh, news outlets. One, Yahoo News, the other one, Reuters. This was in mid-October of this past year. And Yahoo News reports it this way. Mark and Brenda Voss of Missouri recently completed construction on their gorgeous 5,300 square foot beach house in a gated community in Hammock Dunes, Florida. The only problem with their palatial new digs, it was built on the wrong lot. (laughs) Contractors built the $680,000 five-bedroom house on on property that technically belongs to a couple from North Carolina. The builder, Keystone Vice President Robbie Richmond, says the company is looking for a way to negotiate a settlement. We are 100% committed to finding a resolution that is fair, he said. I've built 600 homes in Flagler County, and this has never happened to me before. It does happen, but it's rare. 
And then Reuters reports uh, the day earlier, Mark and Brenda Voss, who had the home built, did not return calls for comment, nor did Andrew Massaro of Ocean Isle Beach, North Carolina, who owns the lot. Flagler County appraiser Jay Gardner said he hasn't spoken to the Vosses either, but that Massaro was calm when informed of the problem. He wasn't tickled, but he seemed to handle it well, Gardner said. It happens from time to time. It happens from time to time? Really? That happens from time to time? That makes me never want to build a home. You know? Like, I would be quadruple checking the lot lines for crying out loud. $680,000, five-bedroom beachfront property built on the wrong lot. Friends, boundaries matter. Boundaries matter. They have meaning. Houses must be built within specific lot lines. Borders. Borders matter. We have borders between states. We have borders between nations. And while some politicians don't think they matter, they do have meaning in the grand scheme of things. Why do I bring up this talk of borders and boundaries Well, because in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, Luke makes an editorial comment about boundaries and borders that sets the tone of the entire story. Luke offers a brief word about a border between two regions that shines a light on the hearts of those that live on either side of those borders. The title of today's message is Jesus on the Border. Stand with me if you will, and let's read from Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. Now it happened that as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then... As he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went... They were cleansed. And one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and he fell down on his face at his feet, giving Jesus thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. You may be seated. Verse 11 again. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, that is Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria 
and Galilee. He passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Now, a casual reading of that in our English translations might give us the impression that he kind of, as I read it from an English standpoint, that he kind of passed through the middle of both regions, that he went through Galilee, that he went through Samaria, that he was continuing on, it says, on his way to Jerusalem. An English reading, my casual reading, we might see it kind of splitting through the two regions, walking toward Jerusalem. Not so. Not so. The Greek gives a little bit of color that we don't often see in the English translation. The term through the midst of, or in Greek, uh, diameson, means through the middle of, or more specifically, in between. That is to say, Jesus is walking in between Samaria and Galilee. In between them. We have Jerusalem to the south. We have Samaria, the region of Samaria just above Jerusalem and Israel. And we have the region of Galilee just above Samaria. And there was a little boundary line between the two. And so Luke is making an ed- a comment here in verse 11. Now it happened as Jesus went to Jerusalem that he wasn't going north to south, but that he was passing through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, likely west to east. Jesus is walking in between these two regions. Now, why is that important? Well, there are two sets of people. Two sets of people in these regions. We have Jews to the north in Galilee, and we have Samaritans to the south in the region of Samaria. Two groups of people that did not coexist very well. The border between these two people groups was kind of a no man's land, a place where no one really wanted to live. And that's significant too, as we read about the kind of people that Jesus encounters on the border in no man's land. Read verse 12 with me. It says, then, as Jesus entered a certain village, we're not told what village it is, as Jesus entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. Jesus entered a certain village. It's not told to us whether that village was on the Galilean side of the border or the Samaritan, Samaritan side of the border. But he met ten men there. The men were not close uh, to where Jesus was in the village. They were set apart from where Jesus was. They stood afar off on the outskirts of the village, you might say, near the border because they were lepers. The law of Moses describes the heartbreaking life of a leper. I've listed some of the scriptures there for us today on your outline, Leviticus 13 Read what it says of these people. In the law of Moses, it says in Leviticus 13, 45, Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn, his head shall be bare, shall be shaved, and he shall cover his mustache, his mouth, and cry, Unclean! Unclean! He shall be unclean all the days. He has the sore, and he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp on the border. Leprosy is cited some 68 times in Scripture, most of them in the Old Testament, some in the New. It is commonly understood to have been a 
an infectious skin disease. Interestingly enough, if you read Leviticus 13 and 14, if you, you uh, who uh, love, your, uh, love history and, and Levit- Levitical law, it's a really a fascinating couple of chapters on what was the process for those who had leprosy. They endured a great deal. It wasn't just, too, it wasn't just an infectious skin disease, but in Leviticus 13, it can also be understood to be what's inside your house. In other words, uh, mold or mildew inside of the home can contaminate the home, and they can call it a leprous home. The family can be put out. Modern science compares leprosy to what's called Hansen's disease, a disease that is actually of the nervous system. Symptoms start, of course, on the surface of the skin, the hands, the feet, the fingers, the nose, the ears. But it also affects the brain and nerve impulses. This results in the twisting of the limbs, the curling of the fingers. You might recall the man with the withered hand in Luke 5. That was a man who likely had leprosy in the past, and he was there, I believe in the synagogue in Luke 5, with a withered hand. The effects of leprosy had continued on uh, for him in the form of the, the, of the deformity. It had not healed. Tumors also. Uh, growth on the skin and within, within the respiratory tract. The bacterium also destroys nerve endings that carry pain signals. Thus leprosy at its worst, in its worst form, results in a complete loss of the sensation of pain. Leprosy was and is today an awful disease. You would not wish it upon anyone. And beyond all the physical abnormalities and deformities, to not feel pain, the implications of that are widespread. In fact, there are even ancient and modern stories told of poor lepers who living in deplorable conditions, over time would lose their fingers or their toes because varmints and rats would chew on them and they would not know it was happening. They couldn't feel the pain. They wouldn't even wake up. Dr. Paul Brand, who is the late world-renowned orthopedic surgeon and leprosy uh, expert, once said, quote, I cannot think of a greater gift that I could give my leprosy patients than pain. Let me say that again. I cannot think of a greater gift I could give my leprosy patients than pain, than the sensation of pain. Dr. Brand understood that pain had value. Pain has value. Emotional, relational, physical pain tells us that something is wrong. We don't like it. In fact, we can't stand pain. Some of us in the church uh, experience pain daily. And I know it can seem like merely a cruel joke. But there is value in pain. And it's incumbent upon us to learn what that value is and to use our pain for God's glory. That was a little aside on the condition of leprosy, but now back to our story. Look at verse 12 through verse 14. Then, as Jesus entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices, 
and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. Ten men, ten lepers, on the outside of the camp, the outskirts of the village, on the border, in no man's land. And they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus responds, Go to the priests. And we think, what? Well, were we to read again from the Mosaic Law, Leviticus 13, Leviticus 14, we would realize that Jesus' statement here is in accordance with Jewish law. Lepers, when cleansed, were to report to the priest. The priest served as not only, not only as just a spiritual leader, in ancient Israel, but the priests also served somewhat like a physician does today. The priests were the ones who would inspect the disease. The priests were the ones who would diagnose the disease. The priests were the ones that would even prescribe treatment, in often cases, for the disease. This additional job description of a priest in the ancient Near East is something we often don't think about, but it's happening all over the Old Testament. They would they would assess, they would diagnose, they would prescribe. Priests were doctors. And it should remind us that while physical illness and disease is often merely a result of our fallen world, it can also very much be correlated with our spiritual condition, the condition of our heart. Thus we see passages and directives like that in the book of James. James 5.13 on your outline. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Physical suffering, spiritual solution. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. How many times in that short portion of God's word does James connect physical hardship, illness, disease with one's spiritual condition? When I get sick, and I was just sick, I was sick two weeks ago, when I get sick, in the past, I would say even five years ago, I wouldn't think much of it. I would get sick, and I would groan and moan, <laughs> and I would uh, go to my wife and groan and moan, and she knows how much of a baby I am when I get sick. And I, I just I wouldn't think of anything of it. i just, you know, take the medicine, rest, sleep, come on, get back on your feet. Today when I get sick, having read more thoroughly through the scriptures, I think more strategically. I ask myself, am I spiritually out of step with the Lord? Is there some unconfessed sin in my life that I need to deal with? It is, let me say this, it is not always the case that physical illness is tied to spiritual imbalance. But it can be. So let's be diligent to open our hearts to God for his inspection, especially when we're ill. Back to our story. So here's Jesus. In the story of the ten lepers, he's following Mosaic law when he says, go to the priests. Only one problem. 
they're not healed. At least not yet. They're only supposed to go to the priest when they can see that the leprosy is disappearing. They're only supposed to go to the priest, according to Leviticus 13 and 14, when they can look and see that it's receding, that it's going away, that they're being healed. If it's not going away, there's no point in going to see the priest. Jesus was asking them to go to the priest before they were even healed. Have you ever had moments like that with God? Have you ever had moments when you knew that God was telling you to do something, to go somewhere, to minister to someone, but you had no idea how it would turn out? Have you ever walked in the Lord's directive not knowing whether blessing or harm awaited you? These ten lepers heard Jesus' word and they had no guarantee of what was going to happen. All they heard was go. Go to the priest. Before you're even healed, go to the priest. And what did they do? Luke says they went to the priest. They obeyed. They blindly obeyed blindly obeyed look at verse 14 again so when jesus saw them he said to them go show yourselves to the priests in accordance with mosaic law and so it was that as they went they were cleansed they obeyed not knowing what god had in store for them and as they went as they journeyed as they walked to the priest's quarters they felt something happening in their body they looked down And they saw their hands and their feet. They felt their ears and their nose. And they started to realize that the leprosy was going away. That the curling of their fingers was starting to straighten. That the tumors all over their body and down their esophagus was receding. And as they walked toward the priest, they realized, I'm I'm completely whole. It's a miracle. They witnessed healing before their very eyes. Years and years of being plagued with this awful disease. Years of being unclean, isolated, completely put out of the village, sent to the border, to no man's land. And in one fell swoop, Jesus took it all away and restored their health and restored them to the community from which they had been banished. It was a miracle. And we can only imagine, of course, how these ten men must have felt about Jesus and about what he had done for them. Surely they must have followed Jesus all the rest of their lives. But Luke records a much different ending, doesn't he? Look at verse 15. And one of them, One of the ten, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Only one. One came back to Jesus. The other nine, they, they continued on to the priest. 
They continued on to the priests. They they didn't turn back to the high priest, Jesus Christ, who had healed them. And we kind of scratch our heads in disbelief. I, I, I I Truly, I cannot fathom them doing this. Had someone healed me of an affliction that I had been plagued with for years, I I feel like I would have turned around and ran back to him to see him. We scratch our heads in disbelief and wonder, how in the world did they not turn around? That's what we scratch our heads about. Readers in the ancient Near East, they scratch their heads about the next statement at the end of verse 16. When Luke makes this editorial comment, and he was a Samaritan. The leper who came back wasn't just any regular Jewish man. He was a Samaritan. He was a half-breed in the eyes of the Jewish community. Jesus knew deeply of the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans, the Galileans to the north and the Samaritans to the south. His words, Jesus' words, in the next verses speak to his awareness of the depth of that conflict. Look at verse 17. And Jesus answered and said to him, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Is it only this Alaganes, this foreigner who has returned to praise God? And with this one simple question, Jesus makes an incredibly powerful statement, both about the details of this story and a powerful statement about the human condition. We now learn We now learn from this one question. We now learn for the first time that the ten lepers who lived on the border, that they were a mixed racial group. We know that there was at least one of them who was a Samaritan from the side of Samaria. And it seems to be implied that the other nine were Jews, not from the region of Samaria, but from the northern part of the border of Galilee. Remember, this is right on the border between the two regions. Now this is no small detail. For Jews and Samaritans never coexisted. They never lived together. Unless, of course, the suffering of life required it. It was only when each of these men contracted an awful disease that they realized they needed one another to survive. Only then did they welcome anyone who wished to join them and who wished to help them. When we suppose that our lives are perfect, when we suppose that our lives are perfectly in order, it's easy to shun and to even hate and have disdain for those who are different from us. 
But given enough hardship, given enough pain, given enough suffering, given enough disease, we'll accept anyone's help. All of a sudden, we find ourselves united and experiencing camaraderie and commonality with those who are much, much different from us, with those who we perhaps previously disdained, hated, only when, we've go th- when we go through enough pain and hardship do we open up our arms and say, yes, you can help me. You can help me survive. When you find yourself at odds with someone or some group and you hear Jesus beckoning you to tear down the wall of separation, may I suggest that you exchange stories with your enemy, with the group or with the person that you're at odds with. May I suggest that you exchange stories of personal suffering? May I suggest that you exchange stories of past mistakes and regrets? May I suggest that you exchange stories of confession of sins? Moments in your life that you completely failed It is the mutual recognition of weakness that binds people together. Let me say that again. It is the mutual recognition of weakness that binds people together. The closest friends that I have are people who know the worst of me. And I have them. It was only when they all had leprosy that a Samaritan was invited to live with the Jew. Now, before we give too much applause to those nine other Jewish lepers who opened up their camp to the Samaritan on the border, it seems that the power of their unity only lasted as long as their Suffering did. For once the nine Jews were cleansed, they ran to the priests and went back to Galilee. At least that's what's implied. Never again to be seen by their Samaritan friend. Never again to be seen by Jesus. Jesus Makes note of that in verse 17. Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan? It seems that the nine Jewish lepers only stuck around until they got what they wanted. And suddenly the borders, the borders were back up. The walls of separation, straight back up. It seems that this was a symbol, friends, of how the Jews reacted to Jesus throughout his ministry. John A. Martin writes this, a scholar on the Gospel of Luke, he writes, the lack of gratitude by the other nine was typical of the rejection of Jesus' ministry by the Jewish nation. The nation of Israel accepted the things that Jesus could do for them, such as heal them and feed them. But the nation did not want to accept him as Messiah. 
And that makes me wonder, are we only united to Jesus until we get what we want from him? Are we only united to the church until we selfishly get what we need? And if Christ or if the church should fail to meet our whimsical desires, would we leave the Lord? Would we leave his church and look for others to meet our needs? A real and a vibrant, a vibrant, a healthy relationship with Christ, a real and authentic relationship with the church, it requires faithfulness, perseverance through thick and thin. Don't just stick around until your needs are met and jump ship the moment you're satisfied or the moment they stop being met. The Samaritan came back to Jesus. He came back to show gratitude, a spiritual discipline of remembering what God had done for him. Devotion to the one who had healed him. And in his returning to Jesus, he received more than just physical healing. Finally, verse 19. And Jesus said to him, Arise, arise, Samaritan. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. The word well there at the end of verse 19 is the Greek word sesoken from the verb sozo, to save. means to deliver, to cure, to make well, to make whole, to save. The foreigner came back to Jesus. The unlikely one came back and fell at his feet and Jesus reckoned this man He reckoned upon this man the kind of healing that far surpasses physical healing. Because of the man's faith in Christ, his sins were forgiven and he was declared righteous before God. As expressed in the words, your faith has made you well. Or in some translations, your faith has saved you. Maybe you feel like the Samaritan. Always on the outside, looking in. Maybe you feel like the Samaritan on the outside, on the border, on the outskirts, never on the in crowd, always wondering where you fit in. Or maybe you've lived life as a divider. Maybe you've lived life as one who erects walls between you and those around you, supposing yourself better than them, supposing that uh, by your pride and and by your show of superiority that somehow they're going to change. That never happens. It is only by the mutual sharing of weakness that we draw close to one another. It's interesting that it was the showing of weakness that drew Jesus to us. The cross. He died. He was buried. Jesus drew near to us in weakness. That's how he redeemed us. That's how we can bring healing to one another. Jesus will take all of us if we lower our guard, look upon our sin and weakness, and believe that only Jesus can heal us. Only Jesus can save us. Ephesians 2, 
But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both, both people groups, one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. That's what Jesus does on the border. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we see in this beautiful story how Jesus tears down the walls of separation between us. Father, we, uh, we erect so many walls. Some of us erect walls against you. And some of us here are, are sitting in these seats and we don't know you. We don't even have a relationship with you because we've erected a wall before you, God. Others of us, we erect walls between one another. Animosity and hatred. Or between us and certain kinds of people. Father, your son has shown us how to tear down those walls. He went to the cross and to the grave. The greatest display of weakness. So that he could tear down the walls of separation between us. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts. Let us see that the walls have been broken. Let us receive you again, Lord. Receive your example to us in how we can live reconciling the world through the blood of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.